It's the Asian Boxing Podcast. Asianboxing.info is the website. Scott and Colin here with you. And Scott, we had a great weekend of not just Asian boxing, boxing in general. We got to see the superstars out. Lomachenko versus Masayoshi Nakatani. And for Nakatani, he was just overmatched. He was. I expected much better from him. I thought he was very, I thought he was too cautious from the beginning. He never looked comfortable. He always looked uh, a little bit in awe of Lomachenko, even when um, Lomachenko wasn't really doing anything himself. Uh, the commentary would make it look like some absolutely perfect performance by Lomachenko, but I don't think it was that. I think Nakatani massively underperformed, and Lomachenko looked better than he did against Lopez. But I don't think he looked anywhere close to the fire that he perhaps was two, three years ago. Like you said, it was a better performance than than Lopez, but a huge part of it was because Nakatani wasn't throwing any punches, and that's not something that we've become accustomed to when watching Nakatani fights. Yeah, he didn't really seem to know how to deal with anything. Um, early in his career, he was actually a decent inside fighter. He took down Shuhai Sashia with some brilliant body shots, and that's pretty much all he had against Lomachenko here. There's no jab, there's no right hand, there's no hooks, there's no really anything of the body shots that dropped round four or five. They even they dried up, and it was a really, really poor performance. And, I mean, we could talk about how it was a poor performance. You do have to tip your cap, though, to Lomachenko. He has- he neutralized him. Uh, he uh, w- had great footwork, uh, threw more punches than he did against Lopez. So you tip your cap to to a great fighter who, again, like you mentioned, is older, out of his prime, and, and not the same fighter that he was two years ago. But it was an impressive performance and definitely a lot better than uh, he did against Lopez. Yeah, in regards to Lomachenko's performance, I think... Half of what I'm criticizing is the fact that he didn't really go into the fifth gear until quite late on. Um, what we saw in round nine from him was sublime. But before then, it was, I say he was fighting well within himself at times. But when he put the jets on, when he put the gas on, he looked fantastic. Now, on this card, also, we saw Rob Brandt. We saw Janabek, and I don't know how to pronounce his last name. I forgot how to do it. I was practicing all week and I forgot. Janabek. Alam Kanyuli. Alam Kanyuli. That's a tough one. But Alam Kanyuli was impressive. I thought this fight was going to be more competitive. It might have been the most one-sided fight on the card. Yeah, it's really weird. It, Alam Kanyuli is a very, very, very talented fighter. He's a brilliant amateur. Um, he took a little bit of time to adapt to the pros, but he has looked really good in the last few performances. But Brandt no shot. He looked like he didn't want to be there. He essentially did nothing. I'm not sure whether it's perhaps a case that Brandt can't fight Southpaws because he looked really poor against Jürgen Bremer. But this is just really weird performance from him. And MMS kind of let him take as much punishment as they did. Um, he offered literally nothing for seven, eight rounds. It's just one last one-sided and weird fights. I don't think we even saw the Kazakh come out of third gear himself. It's really underwhelming um, performance by Brunt. Well, what's odd too is is the corner was yelling at him, saying, "Hey, man, you you got to turn things up. Um, you're you're one, you're losing big, and two, if you don't start punching, we're gonna stop this fight." 
and he still did nothing. He he went out there and still came with the same game plan. So it really was a head scratcher for me, especially after watching Brant against uh, Murata. Even in the loss, you know he was throwing a lot of punches. He, he seems like a guy who usually throws a lot of punches. He didn't do that this time. Yeah, I mean, do you think it perhaps is a case that he just can't fight softballs? It was exactly the same when he fought Bremen. He just stood there almost in amazement. And whilst against Morata, he three punches. He looked good. Against Besengurov, he looked good. Against Kopolenko, he looked good. Um, I'm, I'm going to see him just doesn't get the softball stance of an opponent. It's just one of those things, perhaps in his head, that he just can't deal with. Speaking of southpaws, we saw the debut of a southpaw. Subaru Murata, and it was an impressive debut for the young amateur star. It was. This was. It was everything he could have dreamed of. He put on an absolute punch perfect performance. The only complaint I have is Russell Morrow wearing that off when he did it. It seemed really, really, really premature. It seemed like Kevin Monroy was getting to his feet. It, it looked like it probably should have continued. At least give him the 10 count. Give him a count. See what he's like. Don't just wear it off because he's gone down. And, and it takes away from Murata, who probably would have looked even more sensational had he had another round or so. Um, the argument is that Monroy was always going to lose. Yeah, but 90% of guys are always going to lose in fights. We're not going to just not let fights happen because the guy might lose. Give him a puncher's chance. You're, you're in there. You saw Monroy. He was fired up when, when that was stopped. He was mad. Because he knew he was okay. Now, I, I understand it looked bad because Monroy went into the the ropes and then he tried to get up super early and it looked like he stumbled after that. That probably was a, a mistake from Monroy. But even after that, you give him the 10 count and, and then if he doesn't look right, then you wave it off. Yeah, that's just normal good refereeing. It's another mistake in a long line from uh, Russell Mora over the years. Huge win, though, for Murata, and what it does when you're in a venue like that on a stage where people all over the world are watching, you're on the card of, of Lomachenko, it, it's big for your publicity. Uh, I know here in the States, ESPN was posting that knockout. Uh, my uncle was actually at the fight with his friends. They went up and, and got a picture with Murata after so it helps his fan base to to start building that over here. He already, of course, has a fan base in Japan for for all of his amateur pedigree, but but he's building one over here in the states. Yeah, I really like it. I really like seeing these fighters make their debuts on a, um, an international card. Like Shakichi Iwata was another one a couple of years ago, and I think more Japanese and Filipino and Thai guys need to consider. Um, making their profile outside of their homeland before going back home um, with an enhanced international uh, reputation. For Murata, where does he go from here? Because you know that obviously Monroy, not not someone who uh, was tough competition, and I'm sure it was a good first fight for him, but does he start to step up the competition now? Yeah, my expectation is that he'll fight again before the end of this year in a six-rounder in Japan against a decent domestic opponent. The problem is still that Japan has a lengthy quarantine period for international travelers. So they're going to struggle to get Filipino and Thai opponents in there. It's going to be a Japanese opponent. Um, 
and probably a six rounder as mentioned. It'll be a long time before he faces someone for a title, but he will face decent domestic fighters going forward. What's his ceiling? Uh, there's a couple of amateurs in the Tekken gym. I know Fujita is one of them, Murata, uh, both very impressive. Where do you think uh, Murata can go with his boxing career? I think he can go all the way. I don't see anything really wrong with anything he does. He needs to tidy up his style a little bit. He is a little bit over-aggressive at times. But, yeah, his ceiling is world-level. Um, there's a bunch, as you mentioned, Fujita's another. Um, there's so much talent at Taken right now that I think you're going to see a bunch of world champions rising out their ranks in the next three, four years after what has been a pretty poor spell after... Um, Yamanaka's retirement it hasn't really been a star at the Taken, but they've got those those prodigies coming through the ranks. I was thoroughly impressed. I honestly had not seen a lot of him. I, I watched a couple of his amateur fights, and I thought, man, he had, he had speed. But watching him this weekend, you saw the speed, but then you saw the footwork and also the power. I mean, he had some pop on those punches, so I was very impressed with Subaru Murata. One fight, or one day later card on Sunday, we saw kind of an upset. Juarez versus Rivera, there was a, a bit of an upset there, Scott. Yeah, Filipino journeyman Al Rivera um, upset the then 11-0 Omar Juarez in Minnesota. Rivera is one of those Filipino guys who has traveled a little bit. He's had mixed fortunes on the road. Um, he lost to Rancis Bartholomew earlier this year. He's lost to Mark Hawkins. Um, he's not really a top-tier fight by any stretch, but he's he's got the power to be dangerous, and I think Omar Juarez probably felt that quite quite a bit. Uh, Juarez was down in round nine and lost the majority decision to Rivera, who scored one of the best wins of his career. It's probably the best win in a good three or four years for him. He's really not done anything since beating the likes of uh, Shinya Obushi back in 2016 for the OPBF title. So a, a career-boosting win for him. That's why you make these fights, and that's why you fight the fights, even though on paper it could look like uh, this guy's not going to do well, um, he's overmatched. You just never know. Especially given that Juarez actually got some really decent wins. His last two or three were against good competition. So, yeah, it's why fighters, especially Filipino fighters, are so dangerous. They don't ever fight to lose. The Mexicans are the same. They come over and they give an honest account of themselves. And I think that's that's why you don't really want to fight a Filipino or a Mexican if you're not battle-tested already. I agree. I mean, they are the toughest, I think, to, to get out of a ring. Um, especially if you go headhunting, just so tough in there that you're not going to knock them down. If, if you're going headhunting, you're going to have to go to the body. You're going to have to mix it up. You're going to have to take gas out of the tank in order to get a Mexican or a Filipino out of the ring. Some of the toughest fighters on the planet. Also a day after the, the big Loma Nakatani card in Nagoya, Japan, we saw the Japanese youth super bantamweight title fight. Yeah, we saw the tight that he changed hands, going from the hugely talented but flawed Tom Mizukochi and handing over to Haruki Ishikawa. Mizukochi won the title in his last fight. He had a really good performance. He is a genuine boxing talent. 
the problem is that he, for whatever reason, came to this belt thinking he was a puncher and tried to go fire with fire um, against Haruki Ishikawa, who is a legitimate puncher and knocked him out in round two. Um, whilst that's sad news for Mizukochi, who isn't, he's a nice guy, he's a good fighter, he's just perhaps mentally not quite clicking. It's really good news for Ishikawa, whose father actually passed away a year ago yesterday. So his title win is one year before his father's death, and he basically seemed very emotional and um, stated that he's going to take the title over to his father's grave as a sign of respect, and it was a really, really good story for him after what has been a pretty horrible year for him. That's awesome, and that's a great story, Scott. Yeah, you know, in boxing, there's just so many of these different stories, guys overcoming a lot, and I can only imagine what it would be like to fight after losing your father. But obviously, he he was tough, and he did it. He went in the ring, and he won. So congratulations to Ishikawa. Um, today, also, we had a, a spectacular card um, with some female boxers, and one of the best in Japan, Mio Yoshida, for the WBO female super flyweight title bout. For the second time, in fact, um, this is a rematch of the bout from last year where Tomoko Okuda took a technical decision over Yoshida. And uh, this time around, Yoshida was after revenge and she boxed such a determined fight. She was just hungry throughout. She she was the much smaller fighter um, and that proved to be the issue in their first fight. But this time, she was just like a terrier. She wouldn't leave Okuda alone. Every time Okuda creates space, Yoshida's back in her face, unloading punches up close, just not letting her have time to breathe. And it was a really, really fantastic performance by Yoshida, who did enough to take back her title with a split decision win. Put some respect on the women boxing, Scott. I know you do, but uh, everyone else around the world, women boxers, they're, they're taking over. They are, they're giving some of the best fights. I know it's easy to hit on female boxing and the two-minute rounds and whatever other issues. There's not enough knockouts. They give us some of the absolute best fights. I think we're going to see a couple um, on the Golden Boy card on July 9th that'll be really good. This one's really good. We recently saw one, I think, on the Zone card a couple of weeks ago that was really good. They're just providing some of the best entertainment in boxing right now. Hey, you get in there and fight for two rounds. All you guys out there saying two minutes is, is not long enough. Believe me, it's a it's a long round, two minutes. You're getting punched in there. You're throwing punches. Uh, so, yeah, just respect to, to the women who get in into the ring and, and fight for these world titles. Um, there's a lot of special women boxers out there, and we're seeing it not only in, in Japan but on, on the world level as well. It's the Asian Boxing Podcast. Asianboxing.info is the website. Scott and Colin and Scott. July 3rd. Masayuki Ito. Valentine Hosokawa. Fireworks between these two. Uh, that's what I'm anticipating. Both these guys are brawlers and they're doing it at Karakan Hall. Let's get it on. Yeah, this belt has the feeling that it could be something really, really special. As you said, both are brawlers. Um, Ito is the slightly more technical of the two. Um, Hosokawa, even if he's, I think, 40 now or 41, has an incredible engine. He just throws punch after punch after punch, and he's a teat tough guy. Together, they should put on some sort of special, special bout here. Um, an all war for 10 rounds. I don't see either fight being stopped, but I do see it being a real action-packed bout. 
The thing I love about Hosokawa, he just always seems to be in good fights. No matter who he's going up against, um, and you look at his record, 25-8, and eight, uh, three draws, so maybe it's not the most impressive, but he makes good fights, and he fights the best in Japan. He does, and there's a lot of losses on his record that could have swung either way. His bout with Hiroki Okada looks like a shot. I thought he deserved the win on that one. His bout with Doniaki Sato, I thought he deserved. Um, even in his TKR losses to Shinya Ibushi and Minwukim, he put in a shift and a half and took it to war with bigger, stronger, heavier punching men. He is one of the best made-for-TV fighters in the sport right now. So a lot, a lot of different fights coming up. Um, but this one, that this is the one we're keeping our eye on this weekend, July 3rd. And um, I, I think these two warriors are going to put on a great show. And uh, the big thing, too, is, gosh, we've seen some good fights these past couple weeks. So it's just continuing to to deliver, at least in Asia. The, the boxing is delivering. And even over here in the States, we've seen a lot of good fights, including some Asian fighters come over here and really impress, like Murata, like in no way. And so it's been a good month of boxing here in the month of June. Let's get to some drama, Scott. Boxing drama, as uh, Triple G would say. Big big drama show. There's drama between Nonito Donaire and John Riel Casimero. And it, it's unfortunate because it might spell the end of their scheduled fight, which was supposed to go or happen on August the 14th, a much-anticipated fight. Yeah, it's one of the weirder ones. It's um, Casimero either refusing to or not being able to sign up for the same drug testing that Denaire was on and Vada issues. and uh, One of those ones where you just kind of think, why was this not sorted out before contracts were signed for the fight? It's not like you don't have a date. It's not like you don't have an opponent. It's not like you don't know that you're going to be drug tested. Why is this an issue? Get both teams on the same set of drug testing. Go for it. Let's have the fight. Um, but it does seem more and more likely that the fight is completely off because of Casimiro's delay in signing up. He's, uh, his team said he signed up on, I think it was the Wednesday, but he didn't hand over the paperwork until the following Saturday or something. It's just, It's an unnecessary mess as boxing once again gets in its own way. It really does. It's unfortunate. This, to me, was one of the most anticipated fights of the summer. Um, I was excited beyond belief when I heard Rigondeaux pulled out. It was going to be Casimero and Donaire. I thought all Filipino title fight for the first time. I thought both warriors, uh, both big punchers were going to see a knockout. Instead, you go on Twitter a couple days later and you see this, the, the fighting between Donaire's wife with Sean Gibbons, with Casimero. It's it's just a big, big mess. And my question is, yeah, why not just turn those papers in earlier? Why, you know, wait and stall? It's, it's just a big disappointment for the sport of boxing when you can't see these two warriors fight. It is, and it also leads to questions is, is Casimero clean? Why is his team so against his testing? Um, Casimero's team had also previously accused Inoue, I believe, of taking something. Um, I'm not doing the right drug testing for their fight or when that was scheduled. So it really did just make um, Casimero's team look 
Suspicious. Yeah, yeah suspicious. Um, conniving in some ways. It's not a good look, and and you never want to make assumptions, or you never, you know, until some someone is proven guilty. You know, you don't want to do that. You don't want to say, well, I think he's doing something. No, I I don't want to do that. But when you start to put things off and start to make excuses and, and you have this whole circus on, on Twitter, it's just not a great look uh, for your team. Um, and I think Sean Gibbons has been a great promoter over the years. But what he's doing right now, it's not helping his fighter. It's not helping the sport. And it's it's a bad look for him as well. Um, so I think they need to figure this out as quickly as possible. And like you said, if not, they're not going to get the fight on. Yeah. Um, it's one of those cases where I think there's too many dots to say safely that he's not on something. Um, working with Memo Heredia is always a red flag. Turn down testing is a red flag. Um, delaying paperwork is a red flag. There's, there's, so many issues now that it could be very, very hard for Casemiro to ever clear his name, even if he's completely innocent. And it's a shame that there's going to be that, that little bit of a cloud of his head going forward. Yeah, I, I don't know why you just don't sign up. Do it early. Like you said, do it before we sign the contract. Uh, just a very disappointing couple of weeks, I guess. Uh, you're excited and then there's some disappointment. Uh, because this might not happen. Now, if this doesn't happen, Scott, is there a possibility that Donaire and Inoue fight? That is something that Aram has floated. I think that's the fight he'd want to make. But in reality, boxing is never that simple, is I think sort of the answer there. Um, the WBC have got their own mess with their title, so there's a chance that he'll have a mandatory or uh, some other issue will pop up. Um, Again, it's about it's the logical answer that we get those two rematching like we'd saw in 2019 and the fantastic fight in Satama. But boxing doesn't do the obvious thing very often. I said this last podcast. I hope you were wrong because it would be great if Casemiro and Ino- uh, Casemiro and Donaire don't fight. That Inoue and Donaire can just that could just be the next one. Just get that one. Out of the way, Donaire is, this is his swan song. He's not getting any younger. Let him fight now. He, he looked great in his last fight. Let him fight now. Give him another shot against Noah. And for Inoue, it would be another great fight um, between these two and, and just another legacy building fight for the monster. One more piece of news before we say goodbye, Scott. We saw Masayoshi Nakatani, unfortunately disappointed, but the other famous Nakatani in Japan, Junto Nakatani, has some big news. He has a huge story about his um his long-awaited return to the ring, his first defense of the WBO flyweight title, and that'll actually come on September 10th on a top-ranked card in America against Angel Acosta. Uh, I think it's in Tucson, Arizona. It'll be Nakatani's... Nakatani's international debut and a brilliant chance to align with Subaru Murata to make a statement on a American card in front of a global audience really built his reputation and yeah it's, it's one of the rare times where boxing works um, 
Uh, ordered to have a mandatory title fight. The purse bids got cancelled when it was agreed that Taken would take control of the bout. And Taken and Top Rank working together have got this one side. Credit all round. Junto Nakatani, very, very impressive in his last fight. And I love that after you win the, uh, the big world title, this is your next fight. Anel Acosta, who is 22 and 221 knockouts. You didn't take a, oh, let's just stay busy fight. Let's fight, uh, you know, someone that we can look good against. No, you're fighting a huge puncher in Acosta. A former world champion as well. Um, but on the other hand, it is an opponent that I think Nakatani can look good against. Um, beating a guy who's formerly held the world title, a guy who's fought in design, a guy with some some international recognition, and then beating him, that's exactly what Nakatani would need. Um, a win here, an impressive win here, would really, really boost his standing in the spot and see people clamoring for the unification bounce with the likes of... Um, Martinez or uh, Sonny Edwards. Um, so, yeah, I think this is just a brilliant opportunity for Nakatani to make a name for himself. And I love the fact that, again, it's over here in the States, top rank. You're going to get that exposure. Everyone knows him in Japan, but now you're going to get some exposure uh, in the United States. And, and like you said, if he's impressive, has a big you know, knockout win or you know, wins by unanimous decision in a very dominant way then Nakatani is going to boost his stock he's only 23 his star is growing exponentially right now yeah um it's really strange how this box actually came about as well because it was originally meant to be taking place in May in Japan and due to the pandemic that got cancelled so he may end up being a winner from the pandemic so and one of the few fights he's actually had some positives to say about the pandemic I guess it's been the Asian Boxing Podcast with Scott and Colin. Asianboxing.info is the website. If you love Asian boxing, this is the site for you. It has the news. It has the videos. It has this podcast, which you are brave enough to listen to. You can go down to that tab and listen to that as well. Um, and also make sure to follow Asian Boxing on Twitter. Just go to Twitter, type in at Asian Boxing. Again, we want to thank you so much for making us a part of your day. We appreciate all of your support uh, for the podcast and for the website. And until then, we will talk to you next time.